This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Vin Vashishta, who is the founder of V Squared. So Vin, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. Well, looking uh, looking forward to this, Vin. I guess where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and journey to date, if uh, you'd be so kind. Yeah, definitely. I am old. I think that's the best way to <laughs> intro myself. <laughs> Been in technology for over 25 years, uh, data science for just over 11 now. April is year 11. It's nuts. Uh, started out, went to college for data science, AI. Thought I was going to graduate, go work for Microsoft, build HAL, but that didn't happen. That was that first little hype cycle that died down in the 90s. Uh, I told you I was old. Had to go into traditional software engineering, software development. Ended up working as an IC, built and led teams at pretty much the entire software development lifecycle. Got back into analytics BI in 2009, 2010, when the wave kind of came back around. And then in 2012, started my business. Uh, V Squared, been running that for 11 years. Started doing data science, like actual data science, machine learning projects, putting things into production, getting customers to pay for them. Realized that I was never going to do anything except for over-glorified reporting and descriptive modeling unless I got the C-level buy-in. So I had to start pitching C-suite, building the strategy side of it. It started with product strategy, then it was data and AI strategy. And yeah, now I do a little bit of everything. I teach, I write a sub-stack. I've still got clients. I'm still a technical strategy advisor. I, from time to time, will even still code. I I feel like I got an eight-ring circus and I'm just kind of juggling. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Nice. Well, look, you, you mentioned there, obviously, about the coaching and teaching side. So just give us a, a kind of the holistic view of V Squared as it stands right now in terms of, you know, what you do day to day for the clients that you work with, and then obviously the, the coaching side of the business. So from a technical strategy standpoint, I come in, build the data and AI strategy, do an initial assessment, figure out where the business is, write up the strategy document, which is sort of an acknowledgement of where we are working with C-level leaders to figure out how far they need to go and then putting in place everything that's necessary from product strategy. Sometimes I'll build out organizations or help fix organizations that aren't built to meet the business's needs. I can take a project from initial specification all the way through to production and monitoring. So that's one wing of the business. And then the other side of the business is now teaching and education offering classes, helping teach people to do what I do because there's one of me and there's just not enough, there's not enough knowledge. And not every business can handle, you know, really justify bringing somebody who's, I'm not cheap. So there needs to be sort of this knowledge transfer. And I figured that out in about 2017 and started teaching seminars. And now I've got online classes and teach more publicly, offer seminars publicly to really any student that wants to get involved in one. Yeah, That's been the arc. It's now, I spend more time now doing technical strategy, advising C-level leaders, uh, doing a whole lot of white paper writing and explaining what all of this stuff means and how do you make money with it. I'm writing a book. I couldn't, you know, if you'd asked me when I was in my 20s, would anyone ever offer me a book deal? I would start laughing at you and so would everyone that knew me. But I guess here we go. You know, everyone grows up someday. <laughs> nice, nice. So um, you touched on the book then. So, um, and I got it written down here in my notes to mention it, but um, I wanted to get it out of the, the way first so that I make sure that we do touch upon that. So literally like, 30 minutes ago, right? You just put your post on LinkedIn about it's going to be coming, uh, coming out very soon. Just talk us through kind of, you know, the purpose of it. What was the trigger as to why you decided that all of this knowledge needed to be put into a, a book and, uh, and then, you know, where will people be able to find it? You know, it's interesting. I was teaching one of my data and AI strategy classes. And one of the students, we were in week seven, and they said, you know, I, I've, seen a lot of pieces, but I've never seen anyone give me the end to end everything I needed. No one's ever really elaborated on the, here's everything you need in order to go from low to high maturity, in order to build the strategy. So, and I was just kind of like, wow, that's, that was one of the nicest things anyone's ever said about <laughs> one of these classes. And literally the next week, somebody from Wiley reached out and said, are you thinking, you know, are you ready to write a book? And I you know what? Yes, I am. And that's the purpose of the book is to put the blueprint down to go from thinking about it to monetizing and to generating returns from it and to put everything in one place. Because I think that's what's been missing is you hear pieces elaborated, but trying to fit four different companies and four different consultants vision together and cobble it into something that works for the business jet. That's hard. And so I wrote it as a single blueprint. You follow this, you can go from low, mid, or even high levels of data and AI maturity, but you could be one of those companies that's in the 70% or so 
who aren't realizing returns from their data team. Just go from wherever you are to monetizing, having a good cadence, having the strategic components in place to really just get the job done. Yeah. Because that's what everyone wants. It's time to make money from this stuff. It's great. The theory is amazing. Yes, it works. Let's start generating the ROI because that's what really drives hype. You know, everyone wants the hype to keep going. And if we want it to, we have to start delivering cash. So let's do it. We can, it's not like this is fake. We can actually deliver cash. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's get it together. 100%. 100%. So, so much in here that I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking with you, Vin. Um, also got written in my notes to make sure that I ask you, um, you, there'd be many people that recognize the name. Most of the audience probably follow you on LinkedIn if, uh, you know, given the facts of, you know, our audiences are so, um, I guess, so aligned, but 160,000 followers and a, a LinkedIn <laughs> top voice um, yes. badge on there. Just tell me, how did that happen? That's a great question. I began talking, it really was monetization talking about how to make money with data and working my way backwards to explaining there's some implications for hiring. You need to hire differently because the talents that you're bringing on aren't monetizable. You need to, as a business, begin to approach this differently. And so that was another area that brought on a ton of people. And talking about how we should be teaching data science. We shouldn't be teaching it as this theoretical academic exercise. We have to teach it differently. And all of those different areas and encouraging leaders to get into the field, trying to be more inclusive because we have a talent shortage. I don't know why we're trying to push people out of the field when we have a talent shortage. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but that's what we continuously do. And that grew you know, sort of this multi-armed audience, which I think is why there's so many people in it. I've got C-level leaders, startup founders, VCs, mid-level leadership, product management, project management, program management, consulting to pharmaceutical, to medical, to finance. I mean, retail, it's a huge tent of people. And then there are the individual contributors who have been with me, some of them since 2014. They started out as junior data scientists following me and now they run, you know, they're CDOs and it's it's been one of those just communities that's been built over time and built on groups of people who are more pragmatic about the field and delivering business outcomes, trying to turn it into something, building products. It, and we've had all this amazing potential for so long. I think there's this, I don't know, sort of underground movement of data professionals who want to build stuff that's amazing. The things we've been wanting to do forever are possible. And I think that's really what's my following mm. is all of those people who've been dreaming about doing something cool with the technology, who see the opportunity now to really come forward and be able to build all those amazing things. Yeah, 100%. So let, let me take you back then. So it's 2012, I always like to ask the question, but you know, yep. why, why at that point did you decide to start the business? And then I guess the <laughs> following question from that is, have we moved, has the, has the industry moved forward and progressed since that point in time? I think we've definitely moved forward and progressed. We went from, I mean, when I was first doing data science projects, you could barely call it anything more than advanced analytics. There, everything was in place but it was so hard to get the data together. We didn't have the tools ecosystem. We had the compute, but we didn't have the optimization. 
So there were, you know, everything was in place, but it was so immature in 2012 that I had to build so many components from scratch. We had to build everything from an infrastructure standpoint, from custom-made pieces. Optimization was all customized. As soon as that started getting done for us, the field went flying forward. And it really was, it kind of, 2016 was when I started seeing tools come out that could really support and made sense to go away from building models in C and Java to using the Python R. Really, I mean, Scala has been amazing too. So now we have all of these different programming languages, all of these libraries. We have the infrastructure frameworks in place now. We have experimental tracking systems all the way to MLOps. We got too many MLOps tools, let's be honest. But all of that made it feasible to start pushing things into production for small and mid-sized businesses. And I think that's where it took off. Mm. And then fast forward to back in September, OpenAI, when GPT actually hit, released to market, people started using it in October and November, we're on this like exponential curve of interest. And now it's time to sort of put the products behind it. And I think that's what we're doing over the next probably year. Because now we have OpenAI's App Store, which is the first AI app store. And it's amazing just looking at what people are creating on it. What got me into it in 2012? I got laid off in 2012 and had to overnight just decide, you know, do I want to go back into the corporate world, which didn't want to do data science at the time? I, I, I couldn't do it. I loved, I, I had too much passion, I'll be honest, for data science. I wasn't going to let it go. So I just started pitching clients and found a company that was willing to take a chance on it for some supply chain use cases, got into marketing, a big retailer picked me up. It's just snowballed from there. It's something I love. I love the ability to dig into really complex problems using data and models. And I love the products. Seeing people use them keeps me hooked. Because there's, an, there's still that sense of amazement because they're still new. And so people use them and they're like, I didn't know you could do that. I just every time I hear that, I'm like, yeah, still in the right field. Yeah. Still in the right field. <laughs> nice. So obviously that, the whole um, content of your book then is about the monetization piece of data and analytics, right? And um, I guess there's been more than constant debate on platforms like LinkedIn around the industry about you know, how do we drive ROI out of these initiatives? And um, is it possible? Is it not possible? Um, and yet there, there's not that many use cases out there, right? You know, not at scale um, that are showing us that actually, yeah, there's, you know, there's been a lot of success here in terms of the monetization piece of data and analytics as a, as an, you know, as a, as a project or as an initiative. Why, why do you think that has been the case thus far? Well, I think the biggest problem is that we don't connect the technology to strategy. We just say the technology makes something possible. We could do it. Therefore, we should do it. It's backwards. And that's why we have such a huge disconnect. If you start with the core business strategy, what are the business's goals? What's the business model and the operating model? And then move forward to opportunity discovery and say, okay, based on what we have, not some like sci-fi future thing, this is what we got. This is where we are right now. So what opportunities are available? Let's look at what we're primed to take on right now. 
What do we have in place today? What can I deliver in three months or less? Those are your first sort of green shoots of value creation. Those build out the track record of success. So you get C-level sponsorships. So people come on board throughout the business because now you have almost this little entourage that you build up over several months of people who say, no, this isn't hype. I'm using it. It's working. Here's the numbers. Here are the outcomes that have been improved because of this. That's when the rest of the business is now willing to take on bigger initiatives. We're still delivering quick because I think that for the next few years will be critical. No one's interested in it. Yeah, maybe in 12 to 24 months, I'll find some money on this. No one's interested in that anymore. And that's been our problem is we haven't been delivering incrementally. We've been looking at a big bang and just never getting there. And that gets disconnected from business value. So if we start with the business and let strategy drive technology, you end up with value. If you let technology drive strategy, you end up with more technology. So that's the core problem is if we don't have a technical strategy that aligns with the business's strategy, if C-level leaders don't have an opportunity discovery framework, if there's no way to connect the two, it just, it never results in consistent value. You'll have a big win and then a drought. You'll have a couple of small wins and then you'll have troubles. You really struggle trying to get to that next level of revenue and returns. You don't have a prioritization framework. And so all the data team ends up working on is reports and analytics and ad hoc data requests that end up nowhere except for a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, just the stuff that frustrates data professionals and C-level leaders is the same root cause. And it's that we don't have this technical strategy component that allows C-level leaders to dictate where this goes. And we don't have an opportunity discovery framework that involves the entire business. The whole business knows, especially those business units, frontline teams, they know where the opportunities are, but they have no way of articulating their needs or getting any of this stuff up to someone who can evaluate it, you know, a data product manager, an AI product manager who can evaluate it and say, yeah, you found gold. Let's put that on the, yeah, let's put that on versus they're just sending a flood of data requests and none of it has any value. So why isn't there any ROI? Because they're doing reporting. You know, they're people making a quarter million a year running reports. Come on, let's use them for what they want to be doing in the first place. Mm. It's really interesting because I guess, you know, you, you look around platforms like LinkedIn, as, as you'll know better than anyone, Vin, and, and, you know, I think you hear these conversations going on all the time. And it seems now that, you know, you could go to any man and his dog that is within the data community, right? And ask them, how, how should you start a data analytics initiatives? And the, the majority of people will say, start with the business problem, work backwards or forwards, I guess, however you're looking at it. But yeah, it, it, that very rarely happens, right? Have you kind of, throughout all of your experience and going into these big clients and, and, and so on and so forth, have you come to any kind of realization as to why that is the case, that we kind of know it, but it still doesn't happen that way? Well, the data team's running around telling people what their business problems are. That's backwards. <laughs> I mean, come on, unless that's your job, how would you be the best person to know that? I get it. You have data. And we have sometimes more access to business and domain knowledge than the rest of the business does. We have a more holistic view. So we do see opportunities that the rest of the business 
probably doesn't, but we're still not the best people to be explaining what the business should be doing. And that's where we get sort of disconnected. We have data professionals who are, for the most part, tacticians. And so when you hear data strategy, almost everyone immediately talks about who you have to hire, what you have to buy for infrastructure, where, you know, what initiatives that you're going to start working on. It's like, whoa, whoa, those are all tactics. And that's where the disconnect is. One side will say strategy and then immediately start talking about what we're going to do. Well, why are we doing that in the first place? We forget to ask the most important question. Why, why should I do, why should I even adopt data? Why? Prove it to me. Sell me that before we do anything. Close me on that. What is data's ROI? Give me a number. Don't give me like a, give me a real number. You know, and we need to, we need to interrogate our initiatives more like a shark tank pitch where, you know, people come in with these great ideas. They're really enthusiastic and super excited about what it is that they're building. But we need to start asking these tough questions and where's the cash, but there's no framework for that. And we need multiple frameworks because this is huge. This is enterprise wide transformation. Isn't this one-time thing. It's continuous. Every time a new technology comes out, we transform potentially again. How mature does the business need to be? It's not going to be meta. And we've seen so many companies that have no business building a deep learning team, build deep learning teams. <laughs> so there's just this massive disconnect where technology and tactics are pushing strategy in the wrong direction. And we need to turn it around. Businesses need frameworks to be successful. Data teams need frameworks to be successful. Without them, it's just, I mean, it's chaos. It's two sides talking in different directions. C-level leaders say, oh, we're going to hear a strategy. Awesome. Yes. And they show up. And the CDO or the VP of data starts talking about what you're going to buy and who you're going to hire and this great team and all these initiatives. And the C-suite sees right through that. They go, no, that's, that's tactics. Nice try. Where's the ROI? And Anytime C-level leaders see that, they immediately think the data team needs to be managed. It can't be accountable for its own value creation. So I need to put somebody in charge of this team or it'll never, ever produce any value. And then they're kind of pulled into the execution and the implementation. And that's not where they, that's not their strength. That's not where they should be. They should be in the value creation side. And so it's, you can kind of feel how there's a whole bunch of organizations that are out of position and it's because we don't have a framework to fix this. We don't have a technical strategy construct yet that's universal, that other businesses, you know, have successfully shown off so that there's an example of how to do it and how to be successful with it. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. Really, that is the disconnect there. Yeah. So talk us through then, and obviously we don't want to give for you to give away your, your kind of secret sauce, but um, talk us through the type of frameworks that businesses should have from a you know very high level perspective to kind of you know solve this this problem. I mean, where it starts is for me at least when I'm working with a client, it's the initial assessment. I have to assess where the business is, and then I have to work with C level leaders on that opportunity discovery. So we know where the business is. We know what use cases are being supported today by data. More times than not, when I dig into it, 
because I'll build out a data monetization catalog that explains this data is producing this value, puts a value on data, positions it as an asset versus a cost center. What you find is the majority of data not producing any value at all. It's just taking up space. You find that most use cases are not being well supported. They're being supported, but they are not. There's a lot of opportunity for improvement. And in many cases, there's misconceptions about how well each one of these use cases is being supported. So that's the initial assessment, data monetization catalog. We do opportunity discovery. Here's the business's core strategy. We're not changing that. The business's strategy has already been decided on. Let's build technical strategy forward from business strategy. So we need a top level artifact that lives with the business model and the operating model that helps define technical strategy in a way that's value centric versus technically centric where who cares what technology we use if it's an opportunity somebody else figures that out this is the opportunity we've found can we use technology to enable us to seize this opportunity or to seize it better that's the that's it that's the conversation and once you get technical strategy put into place and you have strategies for each one of the technologies that the business leverages now you can answer that question why do we use data? Why do we use analytics? Why do we use AI? What's the point? And it's not because everyone else is doing it now. It's because here's the opportunities. Here's the ROI, here's the value proposition. Here's the initiatives that we're working on. And here's how they connect to this overall top level business strategy. Being able to then work your way down the stack, building frameworks that get you to the point where you can develop a product strategy, transformation strategy a realistic sort of pragmatic connected back to roadmaps like product and infrastructure roadmaps. Here's who we're hiring. Why? Because here are the things that they're going to do. And that's been missing. We've been hiring data scientists and then telling them to figure out what to do. It, it, no, let's go. Let's go back to just reality, the way that we should be running and building businesses. And that's, those are some of the frameworks. I mean, there's a ton of them. We need maturity models. We but those are some of the top level frameworks that have been missing for a very long time. Mm, yeah, obviously in the you know day-to-day -day of what we do, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of meetings I've sat in with, with business leaders kind of saying, okay, you want to build a team of 15 data scientists? Like you, you, this, you, this is your starting point. Like why, why do you want to do that? You don't even know where your data is, <laughs> you know? And it's... Uh, yeah. It is, it is crazy. But so back to the point then around tactics and mm -hmm. business leaders being able to see, see through tactics because they're focused on ROI. Yep. What we have seen though, you know, and quite a lot of the time is that businesses end up going on this journey and I don't know whether it's, it's hype quite possibly, right? But they jump feet first into these types of data science initiatives um, or, you know, their strategy is, well, there must be value in here somewhere. So I don't know. I, I, you know, let's build a team and we can build a data platform and then we'll kind of figure it out along the way. Right. And we'll go digging. Right. right. And that happens right. quite a lot. How, how does that happen when the people, the C-suite sponsorship that you're talking about is kind of transfixed on, but what's the ROI? How, how does that situation then play out? So they get hit with the three slide presentation. I've been making this <laughs> joke since, since way back. <laughs> It used to not, it used to get nervous laughter. Now it gets a whole lot louder laughter. I guess it's, it's gotten more comfortable, <laughs> but it's a three slide presentation. This is how we have been selling data 
first slide is AI and there's flying cars and self-driving cars and robots and like these cool visuals of data and people using data to do amazing things. Slide two, completely blank. Slide three, billions of dollars, billions of dollars, <laughs> market dominance, yeah. amazing technology. You <laughs> will be amazing. And I mean, you know, it, it's the hype and that's really what sells it is that CEOs have been promised ROI. They've been promised revenue. They've been told, look, it works. And, and because that's the reality of it, it works. And there've been since 2008, there have been nine figure ROI use cases out there. So it's not hype. It's yeah. real. And that's kind of the problem is that the people that know how to do slide two, I, I don't, eight, I, I don't know. I mean, just there's so few people that understand what needs to go there in order to get from the hype to the revenue. And that's what's been, that's what's happened is on one side, you have all of this potential and it's proven on the other side you really have this gap between those two, between the the technology and the outcome. And the they call it the AI last mile problem. It's really a first mile problem. We need to start with the strategy component. And if we fill in slide two, then this becomes real. But the problem for the majority of businesses is they've been sold a the three slide presentation, but slide two is blank, and they're left to figure it out on their own. It's really hard because you almost immediately get pulled into the technology because that's who you hire. You hire data scientists, you hire data analysts, data engineers, ML engineers. You buy infrastructure. You buy these ML ops tools and data automation and uh, you know all of these different tools get brought in and so i mean the focus is on what it's on the technology that's how you get sucked in and you find yourself as a c level leader suddenly you're managing technology and implementations and tactics and it's and you just wake up one morning and that's where you are that's uh, is really how we got here and i've been watching it happen over and over and over again mm. and it's it, it, it was for a while, it was really, you had to spend two and a half years making mistakes before you finally figured out it was time to back up and start with the strategy. And that's when my phone would ring a lot of the time. Yeah. So that's then the, you know, that's been my business bottle really. Yeah. Maybe I don't want to fix this problem. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so what, what, what do you make of the whole, you know, uh, tenure of the CDO? conversation that we have right well it depends who you who you listen to but it's 18 to 26 yep. months or something there or thereabouts right what, what do you make of that well that's <laughs> back to another old joke you know cdo takes over from their predecessor after they had an 18 month run predecessor says you know i've left three envelopes in the drawer for you when you get into trouble just open one of the envelopes and you'll know how to fix it and so first you know, six months is sort of that honeymoon period. And then you run into your first major challenge. So they open up the envelope and it says, blame, blame your predecessor. So it's, <laughs> oh, blame the predecessor. Yes. Uh, you know, second, you know, second challenge, six months later, second envelope. 
and it's reorg. And it's like, yes, reorg. We need to reorg the data organization. We need to centralize. I'm going to build a COE and we're going to do six months later. There's, you know, the third crisis, they open the drawer and it says, write three letters. You know, it, th that's literally what happens because we have people that are put into these jobs. The business isn't bought in. They don't know how to get the business bought in. C-level leaders are expecting them to articulate a value proposition, but they don't control all of the resources that they need in order to do a data science lifecycle. And the people that get brought in are typically not transformational leaders. They're not going to go around the entire business and help the business to transform. They, they are put in a position that they have to do across the enterprise work and they don't have the authority to. And they don't have all the tools that they need in order to succeed in that role. And if they don't get that track record of success, get really the rest of the C-suite on board with this becoming a revenue generator and a significant revenue generator, it, it just devolves into continuously focused on the technology. The CDO burns out or they realize they're in a no-win situation. They've sort of backed themselves into a corner. It's just time to go to the next company. That's where most CDOs fail is that you run into this with a, a focus on what's your organization, you know, the data organization. That's what you're focused on, but it's an enterprise problem. And that's why they end up failing is because after 18 to 24 months, all of that becomes obvious. Mm -hmm. It's that you started with the data team, but you really needed to start with something higher level and help the business put in place all the tools and pieces that's, that are necessary to support monetization. That's where we run into the problem every single time, is we don't give a broad enough purview, or we bring in people who are amazing at building out the data organization. I mean, CDOs are strategic leaders, and they lead strategy. Many of them are amazing strategic leaders but have not yet really embraced the complexity of leading the strategy component as well. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. How, are the, is the business to blame here at all in terms of they are obviously making the decision on who they bring in, what skills they think that person should need. And um, as you've probably seen on LinkedIn, Vin, I'm quite vocal about this topic because I see this play out wrongly time and time and time again. But I think there's, you know, there's definitely an element of, education that needs to happen in a business that your CDO probably doesn't need to be a Python wizard, right? You know, which we, we see huh. time and time again, right? You know, and it's, yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think? I don't, I don't think you can be a CDO if you've never been a data scientist or in one of the data roles. I don't think you can succeed because at this phase, it is a technical role. You have to understand how to evaluate software. You have to understand how to unify tools, bring, you know, you're doing technical work and you're making top level technical decisions because that's part of the initial implementation and transformation effort is what pieces do we need in place? What roles do we need to put in later on? Once we get more mature, I think those will relax. But your CDO has so many technical re responsibilities that either your executive level data leader or your C-level data leader has to come out of that background. Do they need to be hands-on? No, they don't have time. They shouldn't be hands-on coding. 
Can they be part of things like experimental review, um, looking at research, being part of those gate reviews? Should they be part of evaluating what reliability each one of the models lives up to? Should they be part of a lot of those conversations? Oh, yeah. We should have some granular oversight and maybe even sort of the research side of it as well, guiding that and have some technical knowledge and expertise in that direction. But they don't have time to be doing all the rest of the stuff. They shouldn't be writing, they shouldn't be building models. That's not, you know, if you have a chief data scientist, awesome. That's the right person to be, you know, the expert scientist part of the data scientists. But if you have a CDO, that's more about developing the organization, guiding each one of these life cycles in being created, bringing in the right infrastructure, leading strategy, developing people, you know, all of these different types of activities. And that's the hybrid, which is so difficult to find someone who has leadership strategy and the technical acumen and the technical background to really have credibility within the organization and outside of the organization, as well as filling that role of making the organization better than just a collection of individuals. Mm. And finding someone with those three is, ooh, I mean, I don't, I don't blame companies for taking shortcuts. It's really hard and they are not cheap. You know, it's not a, it's not like you can throw a small amount of money at this person and expect to get them. So they're hard to find. Like I said, I don't blame companies for taking the shortcut, but it doesn't work. It has to be someone that they either internally move into the role, which is this far smarter way. Because in 18 months, you can train a whole lot faster and more effectively than you can probably sourcing and hiring. So CDOs are rare. They're exceptional people hard to find. Maybe it's time to start thinking about developing internally and start training your technical people to be more than more technical. There are people that want to lead. There are people who want to do the strategy and handle product. A lot of people want to handle product. Mm. That's something that I've really been finding recently. I teach a class on data and AI product management, extraordinarily popular. And the demand for the role is insane. Yeah. There's 84,000 openings on LinkedIn right now for product managers that ask for machine learning experience. I just, that, that number's nuts. Yeah. You would think it would be a slower uptick. No, it's yeah. going so quickly. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad of the validation there, Vin, because um, when was it? Probably end of 2021. I kind of said the whole, this whole data product thing is going to be big. It's going to be the next big thing. Yep. And um, yeah. So I've got at least one right in the last, you know, 15 years, which yes. is always nice. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think back to the, the CDO conversation, the the challenge that we see is that there's just, there's an, a misalignment between the expectations of the business and then how they go to market looking for those skills. Because if you speak to any CEO, they will, you know, they will talk about the exact same things that, we're talking about here, right? This should be a commercial role. It should be about monetizing the, the you know, the data analytics initiatives, returns, value, blah 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 blah. Yet when they go to market, they they tend to lean towards this person. You know, they've got GCP and Kubernetes on their uh, requirements, and it's kind of like, well, you're kind of talking to two different audiences there, right? If you want someone still to be hands on doing that stuff, so 
it's interesting um conscious of time we could probably talk for hours couldn't we um i guess <laughs> definitely <laughs> in terms of when we first spoke offline you said something to me that 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 fascinated me and i've been thinking about it um for the last couple of, of weeks since we spoke but you you said basically that most leaders haven't been focused on returns because i i think i said quite flippantly something like well you know surely just it's very logical and commonsensical that you know if you any business leader wants to know what they get out of what they're investing right you know they they want to know what that return will be and you kind of said yeah but because of you know cash and capital and stuff like that was was the, yep. the train of thought right just talk us through that because that kind of uh intrigued and fascinated me i think it's interesting that we haven't seen through some of the overly flush cash positions and the implications of those those policies in not monetary policy specifically but just within businesses within the venture capital community if you look at companies that have never made money that have always been sort of you know building and improving and creating the community and the platform and the infrastructure and this has sort of been eternal for some companies they're essentially charities. VCs are subsidizing that company with the hope that someday something massive will come of it. And these companies have ridiculous valuations, but they don't make any money. So there's that's what's really driven the thought process behind someday the data team will make re returns and we're good, right? But that mentality has been pulled back. Companies are beginning to audit expenses. They're looking for proven ROI. And Gartner just did a study, the CDO survey, where it was right around 27 to 34% of organizations are returning value. That's it. So in most cases, right around 67 to 70% aren't. That can't be sustainable. That won't continue. We got here because there was plenty of cash to invest, so you might as well. Now we're going to have to move forward with, if you can't prove ROI, I don't see you having a future within that business. But there's a downside to that. If you begin to pull back on your data team, that is your growth engine for the next five years. So if you fail, you've essentially said, I give up, close the doors. Mm -hmm. So now there's this two-sided pressure. There's pressure on the data team to deliver value and be able to quantify the ROI of their work. And on the other side, you have a business that is increasingly aware that their competitors are building data and AI products. Those products will put them at a huge disadvantage if they can't either be first to market or quickly respond and they don't have the data team to do it. So there's this two-sided push, you know, a desperation on the business side and a desperation on the data team side, which are pushing together to drive a different type of awareness. And I think this is the year we begin to see that bear some fruit. And people being more focused on returns than on continuing to throw cash at their data teams and not really getting anything out of it. I think we're going to see some of those really tough questions asked, like, why are we paying you so much? Why do we have this team? 
if all it does is reporting, can't we just replace it with self-service tools? We're really, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, we're saying 67, 70% aren't returning value. And therefore, you know, those people in those teams are unable to articulate that the value they're able to demonstrate and 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 add in terms of, of ROI and tangible commercial figures, right? You talked earlier, I mean, I find this fascinating because you talked earlier about a monetization catalog, which is interesting given the 70% of people out there can't <laughs> can't. Yep articulate the monitor so just just give us a bit of a snippet as to what goes into that okay you know if you were to advise a data analytics team that's currently unable to quantify the value they're adding what would you be saying to them right now i would be saying you're about to find out some bad news because that's what i find out in almost every initial assessment the majority of data doesn't have any value because it was gathered badly we have these digital paradigms and we're running out of time so i'm not going to get too deep into this but we have a digital paradigm of gathering data, which is to serve it back to the user. That's not the same level of quality that you need in order to build and train reliable models. And so we've been sort of taking this data that wasn't gathered for model development and shoving it into models. And what results is trash. The analytics you build on top of it, the reporting, all of it. If the data's dirty, it's because it wasn't gathered properly. There's this misunderstanding that you can clean your way or de-bias your way, or you can't. It has to be built and generated and curated in a completely different way. Is all data useless? No. You'll find that there are a small percentage of data sets that are generating a ridiculous amount of value, but those are not being really taken care of in the way that they need to. And that's what data monetization does is it connects use cases to data sets and starts looking at ROI. You begin to look at your data as an asset and that begs the right question, which is, so what data should we be gathering to grow this as an asset class within our business? And that's what data monetization and the concept of this catalog does. And it leads to looking at models the same way. How much ROI does this model provide to our business? And, and you begin to have a product-first approach. Instead of a data-first approach, it needs to be a product-first approach. What product can we build with this data? And the amazing thing about data and models, they can be monetized multiple times. One data set can produce multiple models. It can produce and support multiple use cases. And it's the same thing with models. We're seeing Microsoft put on a masterclass. How many ways can you monetize GPT? They are showing us that $10 billion investment. They're getting it all back. <laughs> Plus, they'll be seeing some zero, maybe a zero on top of that by the time they're done with it. It is, I mean, it's a huge moneymaker. It, it has monetization potential if you understand the paradigm of multiple. You're not just monetizing it for one initiative. You can monetize it multiple times. It has extremely high value. So if you're starting out doing one of these, do the assessment, get ready for some bad news, but be ready to begin to focus on why those data sets are producing so much value versus all the other ones. What is it about them? What did you do right? And then replicate that. That's the blueprint. That's how you really begin to get your feet wet with this. Yeah, nice. So thing to finish then, C-level sponsorship, obviously, is something that I know you talk about quite a lot, right? So uh, there's, there's a few facets to this. So I'm going to try and ask it in one very long question and, and we can end there, Vin. But um, so I guess, first of all, 
Do you need to have C-level sponsorship to be successful or does it just make it easier, right? And then if you don't have it, are you able to influence, persuade your way to getting that sponsorship if it doesn't already exist, right? And then how is that different to kind of senior management, senior leadership buy-in? How is sponsorship and buy-in different? Sorry. Buy-in's trust. You really get you get people bought in to doing data once the culture changes. I see there's three kinds of debt, and that's what's keeping businesses from really doing this transformation and not doing it in the most expensive, painful, longest way possible. You have to address three types of debt. You have cultural debt, strategic debt, and technical debt. Each one of those is a contributor to the pain that you're feeling. You don't really begin to address those challenges and transform the business until people trust data until they trust models, until they trust that the ROI is a real thing, not smoke and vaporware, until they have autonomy over it. They need frameworks so that the business has control over the technology, not the other way around. So once you have those components, that's, that's buy-in. That's when you get to the point where the business is bought in because they're partners. They're part of the design process. They're part of validation and continuous improvement. So the business is bought in when the business is involved and you need frameworks to get that done. You need a C-level sponsor. I mean, you, the reason why I started with buy-in is because that's the reason you look at C-level sponsorship is so critical. You don't get to buy-in unless you have someone who is championing it, who has KPIs associated with, they're accountable for KPIs that are associated with these data initiatives. Until the data team sets the expectation for revenue and cost savings, you don't get C-level buy-in either or internal buy-in. You can't get that sponsor until you build a track record of success. We very rarely find someone who is enough of a visionary at the C-level to look at data and say, okay, I see where this is going and I am all in. It is very rare that you get a C-level leader that gets there on their own. And so if you find yourself in a business that doesn't have one, track record of success. Deliver those short-term wins, which will be big. Don't think short-term is small. You can make some massive, massive improvements and impacts with very, very small initiatives. And that builds you the entourage. Begin to build a coalition. That coalition gets you into the door of the C-suite. And if you prove your worth, if you can show them with a few initiatives that you can deliver significant revenue growth and cost savings, you need both. Then your sponsor all of a sudden shows up and says, I get it. You probably have some people arguing over sponsorship. <laughs> so it's that track record of success. It really is. And start with the business. Don't start with the technology. Really going back to that original statement, whatever the business strategy is, just do that. Just deliver those returns and you will have so much easier of a time. Yes, there may be higher returns potentially out there. Don't worry about it. Just go after what they're caring about and what's important to the business. If you start with the business and start where it is, you'll be so much more successful. Yeah, 100%. Last thing then, this I promise this is the last question. How does the C-level sponsorship um, conversation, uh, how is that affected by reporting lines and structures because you talked about there about having someone in the c-suite who is accountable for being your sponsor right and bringing data into the boardroom so to speak yep. how, what's your view on reporting line structures and, and how all that plays out uh i think that you need a direct line to the c-suite that's why i think the cdo role is so critical 
you need a C-level representative for the data team in order for this to work. And I've seen EVP or executive level roles who were in, in meetings, part of sort of the conversation of strategy planning, sat in with the C-level leadership. I've seen that work too, but you need that level of reporting structure. But you also need the data team to own everything they need in order to do their job. One of the biggest impediments and barriers to progress is if someone else owns the data. How does that make sense? You hired a data team <laughs> and you're not going to give them control of the data? Then call them something else. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't you give them control of the data? But I mean, it's those types of, when you talk about reporting structures and being able to get to the C-suite, those are the types of problems that we need to be able to call out because the older paradigms don't work. And we need to have a line to the C-suite. And if you don't have that, I don't think data scientists realize exactly how much power they have to go to the CEO and say, look, I mean, even at very large multinational companies, to find somebody at the C-level and say, look, I want to sit down with you for 30 minutes. You give me 30 minutes and I'll show you how this makes money. And you give me one green light and you will give me green lights for the rest of time. You just let me prove it this one time to you. If you can get that meeting and then whatever you do, don't fail on that initiative. It, it, take some liberties because you have the opportunity today to get away with some things that in about 12 months you won't. <laughs> so take your opportunities now. You're thinking, oh, I'm going to get fired. No, you 100% won't. You pull this off, you're getting promoted. So. Yeah. Be the person that steps forward and don't be as afraid, you know, ask forgiveness. If somebody says, why did you go to the CEO? Ask them, why didn't you? <laughs> if they're not doing their job. It's your turn. I mean, step forward. Mm, nice. Well, Vin, look, it's uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We could uh, probably riff on all of this for, for hours, no doubt. But um, yeah, look forward to seeing how the rest of your journey unfolds. Will we be able to get hold of your book soon? Where, where will that be? July. It'll be out in a few months. Uh, July few months. is the uh, the drop date. Nice. Cool. All right. Perfect. Well, look, best of luck with everything. Thanks again for coming on the Thank show you. and giving us your time. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcast's as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.